Amen. Guys, um, it's coming up in four weeks to Easter, and also four weeks to I Get Married. Kelsey and I get married in four weeks. That got more of a yay than Easter. Sorry, Jesus. Um, but four weeks, and as we're coming up to, to Easter, I want to look at this title of A Scandal of Grace and remind ourselves, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, I want to remind you of what, what Easter is all about, what this is all about, what's the purpose of all this is about, why we do church, why we do life groups, why we do community together. It's to be reminded of the fact that, that what we've been singing about tonight is God sent his son into this world for you and I. It was a scandal of grace. Those two words shouldn't really go together, but over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to try and look at a, a collection of, of talks and a few people that encountered Jesus and how actually Jesus' response to these people was completely, it should have been scandalous, it shouldn't have made sense, but I'm going to look tonight at a, at a woman we've probably heard of, well-known, um, and it's in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And it's, uh, this woman doesn't even get a name. She's just getting named by as a woman caught in adultery. And unfortunately, how many of us do know, know that you make one mistake and that's what you're labeled by? That's what the world likes to do. That's what the enemy likes to do is one mistake, one thing you put wrong in your life and that's what you're labeled by for the rest of your life. But we're gonna look at how this woman who is labeled by the sin that she commits and how one encounter with Jesus will actually change her whole story. So John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, we're going to read. And it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Real random question. I like to start off with the most random story ever, and this is going to be a random question. But does anyone suffer from mouth ulcers? Show hands. Mouth ulcers? Couple. Yep. Let's pray for them at the end. Anyone suffer from, from cold sores? And who's like me and suffers from both? A couple. We really need prayer. So... Kelsey the other day had, had, a, had a mouth ulcer um, and she was complaining about it. And then when we started to tell, have you ever got to the point where you have like a mouth ulcer or like a cold sore? And then you just think, do you know what? I really regret not enjoying having a healthy mouth. Do you ever get to that point where you're just like, I, I wish I would appreciate having, not having a cold sore. And so like right now I don't have a cold sore. So if you don't have a cold sore, can we just take a minute to appreciate this right now? Like, you, hey man, you don't have a mouth ulcer? Like, 
You don't have to eat a packet of crisps and grimace every time you bite one, but let's just take a moment and appreciate this. But also, it's a bit like, have you ever just got caught doing something, doing something wrong, almost caught red-handed, and you just wish, oh, I just wish you could take me back to when I wasn't caught red-handed or I wasn't feeling bad about myself or everyone isn't looking at me and I'm going all red-faced. And There was a time, um, a couple of years ago, I went away on a, on a missions trip to Malawi in, in South Africa. And I went with a, I think I was about 17 or 18, and it was with a, an organization called Athletes in Action. And so they go out and, and they use sport as a, as a tool to, to, teach the, to preach the gospel. And so this particular group, we were going out to play football. And so we're 10 days in, in Malawi, and it was great. We were going out and, and playing some of the, going to the wee villages and playing football with the kids and stuff, and then getting opportunities to, to share and pray for them and, and share testimony. We got to play some of the uh, professional teams out there, and again, sit beside them and, and share a meal and, and um, share a testimony and pray with them. But the last day, it was a great 10 days away, but the, the final day we got to, that was our own day, we got to go and do what we wanted. So we, we hired like a minibus for the full week and our last day we decided we we're going to do, see a few, few sites. So we went and seen the original named Lake Malawi. Really thought that one up well. Um, so we went and traveled to this place, Lake Malawi, to have a look at this. And honestly, like, it wasn't great at all. Like, if you went down to Malai and looked at the beach, it was a bit like that there. It wasn't exciting. And so we're like, this was a waste of a trip. But anyway, so on the way back, we're on this wee coach, this wee minibus, and we're driving down like this wee dusty plane. And it was just like, you know, dust and terrain left and right-hand side. It was nothing exciting. But in the, in the front, in front of us was like this wee pickup truck. And it was a bit like anyone got the 188 bus. It was like trying to get on the 188 bus. Everyone was jumping on it. There was 400 people hanging off the back of this thing. And there was a guy sitting beside me and had a camera. And he's like, here, David, you're, you're sitting beside the window. You couldn't lean out and, and take a photo of that. That would be a really good photo to have. So yeah, no problem. So I take his, phone, his camera and hanging out the window and, and try to get a few photos of this. And that was no problem, give him his camera back. And five, 10 minutes down the, down the road, we, we pull in like, just into one of the wee side bits of the road. And I was, we were all like, we're not, we haven't reached there yet. Why, we're not reached back to our, our home, back to the bit we're getting to. And the, the minibus we coach thing opens up and, and on comes these two huge, I don't know what you call them, Malo, Malawians, what do they call it there? Malawians. Um, but they weren't just anyone, these were policemen. And so all the rest of us are like, what's going on here? Why are these policemen getting on? And he talks Malawese or whatever the talk to the, the, the interpreter at the front and, and they're talking back and forth to each other. And then they get back off the bus and we're like, that was random. So we continue driving down this path and five, 10 minutes later, then we pull into this wee random village in town and we're still following this truck and we're all like, we're not up. This doesn't look familiar. And lo and behold, we pull up to a police station. We're all like, what's going to happen here? This is, this is definitely not home. And the, the police officers get back on onto the, the bus and speak to the interpreter again. And then the interpreter asks for the guy who's heading up the missions tip or missions trip, a guy called Russell. So Russell goes to the front of the bus and him and the policeman and the interpreter are talking to each other. And then he turns around and goes, and we're all like, what's he about to say? What's happening here? And he's like, guys, they're looking for whoever took the photo. And I was like, <laughs> straight down. And like all other guys really didn't help me out. They like just turned around and all glared at me. So I'm like looking down awkwardly. And then they were like, Davey, it's you. I was like, oh, give me strength. So I, I walk into this random um, Malawian, whatever we're going to call this, um, 
PlayStation. And honestly, this is no word of a lie. Like I walk in, it's a wee reception. There's two like wee rusty chairs. One guy's already sitting there in handcuffs and I'm sitting beside him going, you've got to be joking me. And honestly, I'm jumping to the point of going, I'm 17, this is the end of my life. I didn't even get to say bye to my mum. I didn't even get to live my life. Like I didn't even get to eat my 18th birthday. And I was just panicking. And all I was sitting there thinking as well, why did I take that camera? Why? I'm not even good at photography. I don't even like taking photos. I just jumped at the opportunity. I just dived in there and now I completely, completely regret it. Um, I got home, obviously, I'm standing here, um, and didn't have to stay in, in prison, thankfully. But this, this is a similar situation that this woman faced in, in John chapter 8. This woman has, has made one bad move. We don't know anything about her other than that she was caught in adultery and thrown in front of a crowd, thrown in front of people and made a mockery of. And here's the thing, this woman was caught in adultery. Now I'm not going to go into details, but she was caught in the act of adultery by these Pharisees and these religious leaders. I wonder was this something, because we read on later, that they were actually trying to, trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to get Jesus to say something they could use to get him. And it just got me wondering, I wonder, did these people coordinate this whole situation? Did they almost coordinate this situation to get this woman caught? Because, again, without going into detail, it takes two to tango, and with one woman here, where's the guy? Why is the man not thrown in? Because... The Bible says that anyone caught in adultery, in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, anyone caught in, in adultery, they and the other person will be stoned to death. And, and here we just have this woman thrown in there. It's almost as if the Pharisees had set this up. They had set this situation up so they could grab this woman in the act of adultery, take her and throw her in the middle of a crowd. You see, church, I want to even say, if you're sitting here and listening to this, this is what sin will do to you. Sin will tempt you, and then it will use that thing to destroy your life. If any of, anyone in here, if, I'm not going to ask for hands, but there, you know that there's certain things in your life, whether it's alcohol, you, sin tempted you to try a bit of alcohol because it would numb the pain, and you try a wee bit of alcohol, and then you try another bit, and then you try another bit, and then what the enemy will do is he will take that thing and destroy your life with it, and destroy your family, destroy your future, destroy your career. Pornography. You maybe look at pornography once, you maybe check something out, you do it again, you do it again, and that pornography will not just only destroy your life, it will destroy your relationships with your spouse in the future, it will destroy the, how you view men or women, they're just objects for pleasure, it will destroy you. Alcohol, gambling, these are all things that the enemy will tempt you in, this is good, try this, try this, and then he will use that same thing to throw you in front of a crowd and destroy your life. That's what the enemy would do, that's what Satan wants to do. And here's this woman, Kelsey, I need to borrow you for uh, an example here. Yeah, it's the elder altar's woman, it's, forgive me. So here would be this woman. Don't say anything. But what the, what the Pharisees would have done, they would have grabbed her and they would have thrown her in front of a crowd. And this is what the enemy wants to do, church. He wants to do three things. He wants to isolate you. As I said, it takes two in this adultery, takes two people. What the Pharisees have done is they have got one person and thrown her up here and say, you're the sinner. You have done wrong. 
And church, we all know that that's what the enemy wants to do to you in here. Every single one of us can vouch for this, that we have in our sin felt isolated, felt I'm the only one who thinks that way. I'm the only one who struggles with that. And the enemy is going, yep, yes, you are. You have an issue. You need to get that sorted. And what he wants to do is just leave you up there so that we can all look at your sin and all look at your shame. He wants to isolate you. He also wants to humiliate you. He wants to humiliate you. These Pharisees threw this woman in front of a crowd so they could all look. Jesus, it says, he was sitting teaching. He was sitting in the temple teaching. These Pharisees threw this woman in here and just want to humiliate her. Let's look at her sin. Let's point out her flaws. Let's point out her issues. And also what he wants to do is the enemy wants to marginalize you. You see, this woman, this, what Jesus was doing was Jesus was sitting teaching in the temple now, the majority of the people, it wouldn't have been like nowadays where it's men and women. It would have been just mainly men, predominantly men that Jesus sat and taught. And so what we have is we have men, if it was like this in church, men being taught by, I'll just be Jesus for this example, Jesus. And then what these people do is they bring this woman in and just start to point out her sin. And let's be honest, church, you'd if someone was to come in here with that kind of sin, with caught in adultery and put her in front, would all be going... I feel a bit better about my life. Whereas sin is sin. Thank you. Sin is sin. But this woman is thrown in front and the enemy is isolating her. And the enemy wants to isolate you. The, the enemy is humiliating her. The enemy wants to humiliate you. And the enemy is marginalizing her. And the enemy wants to marginalize you. But this title, I don't know if I've given you a title yet. If not, we're about to get it now. The title tonight I want to talk about is A Posture of Grace. A Posture of Grace. So let me illustrate this passage. But we have Jesus sitting in the temple. He is sitting down talking. Sitting back then would have been a sign of authority. I think we should do that in church from now on. Why do I have to stand and teach and you get to sit? We're going to do it the other way around. We're going to go back to Jesus' time. I'm going to sit and we're going to all just stand for next week. But sitting would have been a sign of authority. So Jesus would have sat, everyone else would have been, I just want to hear what he has to say. And so I'm just going to, if I have to stand all day, I'll listen. We struggled to get to stand for 15 minutes during worship. But anyway, um, but Jesus would have sat down teaching in the temple. In comes these Pharisees throwing this woman who was caught in adultery. She was caught sleeping with another man. So we don't know, we don't read this, but she could have been worrying very little maybe nothing, maybe her dignity gone completely, wearing maybe a bed sheet, terrified, shaking in front of people with her sin to be on display. And these people say, teacher, I love how they say teacher. It's almost like, do you know why you're, you're trying to get someone to do you a favor? So you put your arm around and be like, do you know why I love you? <laughs> They're just coming up to him and go, Jesus, teacher, do you know why we're friends? This woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust. I love this because this is like, they're asking Jesus a question and he's just like, yep. Just completely ignoring it. And this is like... Kelsey and I are doing a marriage class with, with, with Mark and Mags and we were talking about this idea of communication and, and how I love how vastly different guys and girls are because Kelsey will say this to me all the time. She's, we'll be driving down. She's like, what are you thinking? And I'm just like, 
Nothing. So like, no, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? No, honestly, nothing. And then to the point, like her and Elaine, it was like an experiment at the house the other week, at their house. I was eating my dinner and they were eating their dinner and they're like, like, I wonder what he's thinking right now. And I'm just sitting trying to eat my like chili and rice. And they're like, Dave, what are you thinking now? I'm like, I'm just trying not to spill my dinner here. Like, that's about it. But here in this passage, Jesus isn't thinking of nothing. Jesus is actually well tuned in to what's about to happen. Jesus is sitting, it says he stoops down to write in the dust. And over time, I've heard many people use this passage. If you've heard this passage preached before, a few people maybe will try to, try to explain or expand what he is writing. That's the big question. I wonder what Jesus had written. And there's so many different explanations. They, many people say that Jesus, it was, a, it was a prophecy in a passage just not in Jeremiah that Jesus was trying to actually fulfill. Some people believe that Jesus was writing the names of the Pharisees and the, the teachers of religious law, writing their names in the dust. Some believe that he wasn't just simply writing their names, but he was writing their sins. Also be like, you're, you've done this and you've done that, and yet you're going to cast the first stone. But I'm not, going to, I'm not going to give you the answer, church. I'm not going to give you what I feel. But I'm going to pick out what the Bible does say. Look at verse 6 again. It says they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. You see, I believe this book, this Bible, is fully inspired by the Holy Spirit. Fully inspired and I don't believe it's just the concepts or the stories or those different bits and pieces in the Bible that are inspired, but I believe it's every single word written in this book was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be there. Every single word. And so no, I don't understand what was written, but listen to this. It says, Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust. And this is what I believe, church, is the posture of grace that Jesus stooped down to write in the dust. At the start, it's, I said that Jesus was sitting. Sitting represented authority. Stooping represented humility. So Jesus humbled himself in this moment. He just stooped down. It's a humbling position. It's a vulnerable position. Like you would maybe, you would maybe kneel down or stoop down if you were to spit in the mud and make, a, make with your saliva and put it in someone's eyes for them to be healed like Jesus does in, in John chapter nine. Or that you would maybe, you would maybe stoop down to, to wash the disciples' feet in John chapter 13 or, or in John chapter one where, where Jesus has died and rose, rises again and he stoops down to make a meal for his disciples, to make a meal for for Peter, the guy who has denied him three times, Jesus stoops down with humility. Because here's the thing, church. Grace will stoop to any level to find you. Grace will stoop to whatever level to find you. And Jesus will stoop down to any level that you run from him to find you. Because that's what grace does. That's what grace wants to do. It consistently stoops down to any level to find you. And this, Jesus is standing before this woman. We don't know the posture of this woman. We just know that she's thrown in the, in the midst of a crowd. But I wonder, I wonder, was this woman standing there? 
Or was she so frightened and trembled that these men might stone her to death that she was just down? That she was wearing nothing but a cloth, trying to hide whatever dignity she had left of her guilt and her shame? And I wonder, was the fact that Jesus stooped, not simply just to be a humble move down, but that he wanted to come down to where she was? Because here's the thing, church, grace will meet you where you're at. Grace will stoop down to your level. Grace will come to meet you wherever you are at in your sickness and your brokenness and your guilt and your shame. Grace will meet you where you're at. Do you know what I also don't understand? This woman was, had committed adultery. She had committed a sin. This wasn't that she was being wrongly accused. She had done wrong. She had committed sin. She was either married or else the, the person that she was sleeping with was married. So she was in the wrong here. But yet Jesus stoops down to meet her. And Jesus then stands to fight for her authority, to fight for her position, to fight her battle. Church, whatever battle you're facing, whether you've got yourself there or not, Jesus wants to step in and fight your battle for you. Jesus wants to step in and say, this is not your fight. Step back, let me take it, let me fight. Even though you've got yourself here, this is what grace does. I meet you where you're at. I stoop down to find wherever you are and then I fight your battle for you. This woman says nothing until the end and Jesus speaks on her behalf. Jesus wants to speak on your behalf. He wants to fight your battles for you. I'm going to ask Mark to, to come up as I come to close here. It says in verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And do you know what I love? I love when there's a verse in the Bible that's just there by itself and it's the most random verse ever because again, if I believe that this Bible is whole, Holy Spirit inspired then every single verse is supposed to be there. And so look at verse eight. Verse eight is all by itself. Jesus has just got up and defended this woman, just got up and fought for this woman. Scandalous. She should, he should never have to. This woman got herself into that sin. But Jesus stoops down and defends and fights her battle for her. But verse 8, after he says that, verse 8 simply says this. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Jesus has already stooped down to find this woman. Jesus has already stooped down to meet this woman where she is. Church, grace will stoop down to find you and it will stoop down again to find you. It will continually look for where you are. Grace will never stop chasing you. His grace will never stop pursuing you. I believe this is a word for if you're in here and you've turned away from Jesus or you've been struggling with him for a while and you're thinking, do you know what? You've done enough for me already, Jesus, but I've just I've fallen too far. I believe Jesus saying, no, I will stoop down again and I will stoop down again and I will stoop down again and if you keep falling, I will stoop down to pick you up and I will stoop down to find you. I will humble myself to pick you up. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? 
Guys, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a couple of passages of, of Jesus and his encounters with women. And I'm going to say something here that I want you to take on board for the rest of each of these titles we look at. And this, it's this idea. Whenever Jesus or God is asking a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Whenever Jesus or God in any of scripture is asking a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, but he is trying to teach us something. We look at Exodus chapter four, Moses and, and God at the burning bush. God asks Moses, what's that in your hand? It's his staff. It's not because God forgot what a staff is. It's not for, because God wasn't sure what was in his hand. He is trying to tell him so that Moses will realize that's what you're going to use to fight against Pharaoh. That's what you're going to use to take on the enemy. What I have given you, you're going to use. When Jesus says in, in one of the gospels to the disciples in the boat, why do you have so little faith? He's not giving them a, an, answer, an option to give them an answer, to make up an excuse. He is trying to challenge them and say, I am in this boat with you. Why do you have so, so little faith? I am in this fight with you. Why do you have so little faith? It's an intentional question. And here we have with this woman, he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Jesus isn't looking for an answer. He is standing there. He was fighting the battle for her. And so he stands and says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? For her to say, no. What I love about this church is, is look at Jesus says in verse seven, he says, all right, they're looking for an answer. He says, all right, let the, the, the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And obviously all the Pharisees drop their stones because well, they have all sinned. They've made mistakes, they've done wrong. There is one person in all of that crowd who is left at the end, who is perfect and can throw a stone. And it is Jesus. And Jesus says to this woman, even I haven't condemned you. There is no condemnation for you. And church, I wanna encourage you this week, however your week has felt up to now, that there is no condemnation for you. If Jesus doesn't judge you, if Jesus doesn't condemn you, then no one can. You are free because of grace. And this is scandalous. This shouldn't make sense because I, my sin paid for him to go on the cross. It was my sin. I should be that one standing in the crowd with everyone looking at my shame and my guilt and my mess. But Jesus fights my battle for me. And on that cross, Jesus fought the greatest fight against an enemy we could never take on sin and rose victoriously. And in this passage, church, we have, I'm gonna ask the band to come up. In this passage, we have three postures. In verse two, it says that Jesus sat down. Sitting obviously represented authority. Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father. God sits on the throne. Jesus was with God. He had his authority. Then we read that Jesus, Jesus stooped down to write in the dust. He stooped down at our level. An act of humility. Jesus, sitting on the throne, stooped down to earth, stooped down to fight our battles for us. He stooped down into your very situation. Church, are any of you glad that Jesus stooped down to find you? That he stooped down off his throne? He humbled himself to the point of death for you. He humbled himself 
to the cross for you and I. And it says in verse 10 that Jesus stood up. Standing is a, is a, represents certainty. And Jesus humbled himself to death on the cross for our sins, for your guilt, for your shame, to fight your battle for you. But he didn't stay stooped. Because three days later, church, he rose off the grave. He stood in victory. He stood in certainty. He stood over your situation, over your sin, over your guilt, over your brokenness. He stood over death. He is the resurrection. This scandalous grace is offered to all of us. What a savior we serve. And I pray that we will go out into this week being reminded of the grace that Jesus offers each and every one of us, the grace that he has given so freely. We stand here not judged. We don't stand here undignified by our sin or shame. We stand here in righteousness because Jesus stooped down and paid the price for you. Father God, we thank you that you stooped down to find us. God, I want to thank you that you stooped down to find me, God. Even when I was lost and I maybe wasn't looking for you, your grace pursued me, God. Your grace reached down and found me. And God, I thank you that you didn't just do it once. You reached down and found me every time I slip, trip and fall. Your grace is there to catch me. And Father God, I pray for each and every person in here who's maybe had an attack by the enemy, reminding them of their guilt and their shame. God, would they know that it is paid for, that you have removed it as far as the east is from the west. God, would we go out into this week in victory? Would we go out into this week excited? God, would we go out into this week not letting the enemy hold us down, not letting the enemy and our sin and our shame pin us down, but would we go excited, Father God, knowing that you have paid the price, that your grace is there to catch us. What a saviour we serve. Thank you, God.